0: At WBAI in New York, I believe that independent media exists to serve the interests of the less powerful, to make the words "liberty" and "justice for all" a reality, not just a slogan. I'd be honored to be one of your representatives on KPFA's board.
1: My name is Matthew Hallinan. I'm a lifelong political activist and a current member of the LSB. KPFA is facing a deep crisis. While the costs of producing quality radio have risen sharply, the station's listener and donor base have remained frozen. We need a board that doesn't simply want to cut costs but that has a vision for how the station could raise money and produce the kind of programming that could attract new audiences and build a wider listener base. I am running on the Save KPFA slate.
0: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. It's 3 p.m. Up next is cover-to-cover open book.
1: Welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I am Malihira Zazan hosting the program today. The award-winning movie, Son of Babylon, has been selected as Iraq's official entry for the Foreign Language Oscar at the 2011 Academy Awards. Set in 2003, the film follows a 12-year-old Kurdish boy and his grandmother, traveling through northern Iraq in search of his missing father, who disappeared after the 1991 Persian Gulf War. I spoke with Muhammad al-Darraji, director of Son of Babylon, about his film career and Iraq's film industry.
0: As a filmmaker, it started with me when I was very young, as somebody interested in art. And that was when I was in primary school, And I was in the first or in the second uh, year of the primary school. I started to form some knowledge of something to escape from the situation in Iraq. So from this, at that age, I start to feel and sense I have something to do with art. But Mm -hmm. my father would like me to be imam. (laughs) <laughs> and would like me to go and to study in, uh, in Sharia, sh- Islamic Sharia. And my brother, actually, he is artistic person. He study in the film academy in Baghdad as a producer. So when I got to in the age of 15, he said to me, look, why you don't study in the art institute and study theater and film in Baghdad? instead of follow your education with with the religion, all of that kind of thing. And he me, he started to give me a piece of um uh, a piece about Shakespeare disco whiskey, and I started to mm. read it during the summer and then I was thinking, wow, this is something I would like to to do and uh, and from there I studied in the Art Institute in Baghdad, but I couldn't finish it, so I left to Holland. And then I moved to the UK, where I studied Master of Art and Director, and also in Cinematography.
1: So when did you leave Iraq? I left Iraq in 1994. I see. So you
0: witnessed the Gulf War. And the iranian iraqi War, and I witnessed the uprising that happened 1991 against Saddam.
1: Your film, Son of Babylon, is your second feature film. The first one, Ahlam, which is about two patients in a mental asylum and the doctor that takes care of them. We went back to Iraq after the invasion and occupation of Iraq in 2003, and that's when you started making your first film. And it was followed by Son of Babylon, which is another award-winning film. So when did you decide to go back to Iraq? To make movies
0: well during the war in 2003 in april i was doing my master's degree in the uk for filmmaking i was about to go back to iraq during the war because i was afraid about my family not having but my teacher he said to me look you go back you do nothing Finish your degree and go back after you have your master. You go back to your family and have a master, and you can do something. You can make a film. You cannot do. You go there without knocking in your hand. So I stayed during the war in the UK, but at the same time, I was watching the news and I had a feel of anger and, and about what happened and how Baghdad was bombed and how destroyed and all of that. And I did not have any contact with my family during this period because communication was cut off from Iraq. So I watched a reportage about, in the BBC in news about the mental institution in Baghdad and it was a girl there. She was wearing white dress and she was sitting in the room and she was speaking nonsense language. It's not Arabic, it's not Kurdish, it's not English, it's not Persian. That girl and her image, it's why that it really shocked me. and really, it, it showed me the world in different point of view. It's not the world that we see on the TV. After I finished my degrees in June, July, I went back to Iraq. My house was bombed. My niece, his 10 years old was killed in the bombing by the American. Another nephew was injured. That damaged me. That made me really mental not very well and and I was, I was, have anger. I don't know what to do. And then one day me and my friend were walking on the street of Baghdad and we saw so many mental ill people walking on the street and because it was not any government, just the occupied army is there around. They don't care about them. So, we decided to help these people and we decided to do something positive in the middle of this chaos and when I when I when I took this mental guy back to the mental institution and they didn't want that was not proper organized or administrate I remember the story of this girl so I asked the doctor who was there and I told him how is this girl and where she where she is and how can I speak with her and he told me he cannot talk with her because she is not very well but he gave me her case and when I study her case I find her quite interested as a character. And then I met another character on The Mental Institution. His name is Ali on the film. And then I met this this doctor. And I spent two weeks writing the basic foundation of the story there. And I developed it so the story was based 50% fiction, 50% yeah. true story. And and from there, I start to think, okay, the positive thing to do is in the middle of this chaos is to make a film, to make a piece of art that tells the story of these people that raised this awareness of what happened in Iraq from far away from the media and the TV news. Reportage to tell the people, the Iraqi people is not just a number. The Iraqi people is a human beings have feelings, have sense of understand about life, and they are looking forward to living peaceful. And this was the ahlam, and that's where I made ahlam about.
1: So when you were making ahlam in 2004, you yourself went uh, through quite an ordeal. Um, oh, uh, because you uh, and your crew, you were kidnapped during the making of Ahlam and also I was reading that you yourself suffered from post-war traumatic stress.
0: To be honest with you, I think all the Iraqis suffer from post-dramatic war. If I look to the Iraqi, if I look to my friend, to my family, to all the people around, around me, War is not easy. And what happened in Iraq in the last seven years is something that's too heavy, too heavy to get it. But people have something inside them. They would like to live. They would like to survive. They would like to carry on with their life. But they don't have the time to breathe and to stop and to think about what happened with them during this period. Well, what happened with me is like another film inside the film. I was making film and I become a film. I was kidnapped twice, once by the insurgents, Al Qaeda accusing that I do film for the American, And then I was kidnapped by another group, where this group working indirectly with the American army. The American army put me in the prison for five nights in the green zone, accusing me that I do propaganda film for Al-Qaeda. And then then released us after involvement of the Dutch embassy, because I have also Dutch nationality. Well, I have my sound record that he was injured by the insurgent when they when they kidnapped us. After that, I finished Ahlam, I managed to finish Ahlam, I left Iraq, it took me... Two years to understand what happened with me and what happened with the film and what happened with the Iraq, and, and the period of 2005, 6, 7 is a dark period of Iraq history where it's the sectarian violence, the chaos that happened, the kill on the street, and that made me question what's going on. I ended uh, like uh, very tired, and, and I went to the doctor and I spoke with him, and he said to me, "Look, I can't help you with that. You need to help yourself. So how I help myself?" I made a documentary about it and about how to help myself through this documentary by digging to the footage that I was shooting during the making of Ahlam to make a film called War, God, Love and Madness to raise a question about war and God and love and madness on this documentary that was shown at Tribeca Film Festival in Rotterdam. It was a very important documentary about recent events that happened in Iraq. So it is not something easy to deal with Iraq today, but it's something you cannot escape. It becomes part of you.
1: And in the midst of all this violence and um, the fact that you were kidnapped and your crew were kidnapped, you still managed both for your first film Ahlam and for the second one Ibn al-Babil, you managed to uh, recruit non-professionals to act in your films. How did you manage to go about finding all these actors and convincing them to, to work for you? Because again, I was reading that some of the actors that were taking part in Ahlam, they ended up leaving their neighborhoods, they ended up moving out because of what they were doing. One of them was a journalist he was scared for his life, and then he had to also move out of his neighborhood because he was associated with the film. So how did you manage to really bring together a crew for your movies?
0: Well, actually, I believe in change, and I believe there is always, there is, is life you can bring, whatever you are going through, dark times of your life, of personal life. So when I did it with myself, I managed to convince the NABAP people with me, the Iraqi team, that we can do something because in 2003 and four and five, he doesn't know what's going on, what happened. They said, we don't care. The American has occupied the country. Saddam regime for 35 years has been running in Iraq and he's gone now and like like in seconds. We don't know what happened. It's a quiet shock. It's shock for me, shock for the world, shock for every people. Mm. But you, we need to act. So I was trying to, to tell them we need to act, and then I managed to, to form this crew with me, the team that were, they were fantastic to help me and to support me to make this film. They were not have the great experience to make 35 million, but they have experience to do something for Iraq, and this is where I bring my experience in Europe to teach them about making films. At the same time, my cast, I was really looking for a cast that is not professional actors, that somebody, like, have the experience by themselves, and that's why when I brought the soldier. On the film Ahlam, he was a real soldier. He was also put in prison by Saddam regime in Abu Khraib prison for five years, he accused that he's doing some politics against, against the regime. And his experience in life, with the experience of the character, put it together and formed this, this performance that he that, with him, he won the award in the Brooklyn International Film Festival for best performance. And, but he, after the finishing of the film, his neighborhood was really so sectarian violence that he fled from the neighborhood and go to another place because A, they know he's a journalist mm-hmm. 2, they know he, he was he was working on a film called Ahlam and all of that. But he was a journalist acting on a film called Ahlam. The film's about the occupation, about Saddam regime. All of that make him scare and escape with his family from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But I managed also to bring him in my new film because I felt that he's the, the right Character for the new film, Ibn Babel. So, in Ibn Babel is the same I did. I brought the main character on the film because the story of the film is about a, a grandmother with her grandson coming from northern Iraq three weeks after the fall of the regime, going to the south in Nazareth, looking for her son that has been missing since the Gulf War. And basically, she tried to find him alive by trying to look to him by the mass grave that discovered after the fall of the regime. And it took me four years to finish this film, and it took me six months to shoot to film it in Iraq. We filmed it around seven cities around Iraq from the south to the north. It was very difficult. Logistic and safety and security and infrastructure of the countries not exist to live, not to make a film and not to be a film with 35 million crew like around 100 people with you. But we manage because we had the will to do it. So we managed to plan everything right Plan everything in each location we will stay this time on this location and then we need to leave this location and not to come back to any location we need to prepare the security we try to use the iraqi army the iraqi police See, like a lot of times we're supposed to shoot on this day but we can't because a there's election a there is not secure a there is a car bomb a there is a bomb there a, something happened the american has not allowed you to come to this location you know but always we try to find a way to bring it together and to put it together. Like the shot of the bridge. This is the most difficult shot. We have been planned this shot. It's about a 35 seconds on the film. We have been planned for one month. Waiting for one month to get permission by the American, permission by the Iraqi government.
1: Some of our listeners have not seen *Son yeah, of Babylon*. Talk actually, about that scene.
0: The scene is actually is about the grandmother with her grandson mm. try to find the coach. There is no coach in Baghdad three weeks after the fall of the Saddam regime. The country in chaos. And when they find the coach, they get to the coach, and this coach crossing the tiger River from one side to another side. It was a very difficult task. It took us one month to coordinate with the Iraqi army, Iraqi police, the Americans, and the Iraqi government. And when we managed to coordinate it, and when the moment came, we couldn't... We had a one take of the of the shot, we are about to coordinate, and then the private companies, Blackwater, came in the middle of the shot, and they crossed the bridge, and they didn't stop because they didn't care, and they crossed it, and then we need to do it again. To redo it again, to reshoot it again, it took you another two hours, because you need to coordinate again. So it wasn't something like a set, or you're in a big studio in, in, in L.A., no, it was a really proper film proper tiredness, but that was some enjoyment, you know, and something we were really looking for. And I think it's come up on each single shot or shot, as something people like it and love it.
1: It's a beautifully shot film, and it tells a very, very important story. And it's very interesting that the grandmother doesn't have a name. Is she a symbolic figure of Iraq who is kind of looking for her past?
0: He looked at the film, the son that has been missed is called Ibrahim. Abraham. The little boy is called Ahmed. The soldier is called Musa, and the grandmother did not have a name. Yeah? But only her name people call her Om Abraham, the mother of Abraham. And that was something is important for me as a symbolic of Iraq because also I took them in one of the scenes on the film, I took them to the house of Abraham, the prophet Abraham, where the prophet of the of the older religion he, he was based in Iraq and that's important symbolic thing to send to anybody where there is a history there is a civilized place was called the Tigers and the Euphrates River. The Iraq was like that. That's why the film ended in Babylon because a a to give Iraq need to go back to their own self. They do not need to search outside Iraq. They need to get with themselves to dig and to look to their past and to deal with it and because they have difficult paths, but at the same time, they have also the civilized Iraq, that maybe if they dig with themselves, they will find it, and they Mm. will work it out to make it more good for the future of Iraq.
1: Going back to challenges that you faced during making of um, Son of Babylon, at some point I read that 500 of actresses, uh, went on a strike because you had not paid them. So how did you secure funding for this film since it took such a long time to make it and you had a 35-member uh, crew?
0: It was actually, it's funny because before I start to prepare financially, I was thinking that this film it should be easy to finance, because after the success of Ahlam, I was hoping Iraq and the Iraqi government, because on the time of making Ahlam, it was not any Iraqi government. Now, In 2008 and 2007, we had the Iraqi government elected, you know, by democratic election. So it's supposed to fund and to help culture activity, you know? So I went to the Iraqi government and to the Ministry of Culture. They refused. They said we don't have any funds. I went to the to the prime Minister office, to his advisor. They loved the script. They said, yeah, we will, we're going to help you to fund you. We're going to give you 20% of the budget. But you need to change the main character from a Kurdish mother to an Arabic mother because... We have a problem with the Kurdish about the percentage of the oil. And I was in shock, so I refused to change anything on the film. And the same thing I want to the Kurdish region government because they have funds to support filmmaker. So they read the script, they love it, the Minister of Culture and all of that. But so his advisor said to me, oh, this film is a propaganda film for the Arab because they show without the Arab, Kurds cannot live in, in peaceful in Iraq. So you need to change certain things on the film, and I refused that. I ended up like, having funding from Sundance Institute in the U.S. Where Sundance Institute. Yes, yeah, Sundance mm-hmm. Institute. On the time of the strike, we didn't have any money and we were in the desert shooting one of the Grave scene. And I had a woman and I brought this woman because this woman is actually the victim of the genocide that happened in 1991. And all the women, they lost their husband, their father, their son and brother, you know, and I convinced this organization to work with me. So to pay the woman, good sellers. but when the money is running out, this woman said to me, whoa, you need to pay us because you have been not paying us for three, four days. And I supposed to pay them daily. Mm. But luckily, after they strike for one day, I get a call from my producer, say to me, Sundas is putting money to help you and support you in, in Baghdad in Iraq and that was fantastic and, and I managed to get some funds from France from, and, from France and, and after I, I managed and we worked very very tight and this is why sometimes the shooting took so long because we didn't have funds to cover everything after the finishing of film in Iraq and came back to the UK to do the postal production and people start to see the footage and to see the film a lot of support come to the film, from Holland, from the U.K., from the uh, United Arab Emirates, from Egypt. And the funds get together and the film, get the right budget that we wish to finish it. And that was really, really, really changed the way how people start to see making film in Iraq, because a lot of financial institutions... They are afraid to invest in Iraq because they say, oh, there's no savings. There is no insurance company maybe can cover you and cover your production. So that's why it was difficult to make it in Iraq.
1: During the film, uh, we saw the grandmother and Ahmad um, after they go to Nasiriyah, to this big, big prison that once held uh, thousands of prisoners, and, they, and the grandmother is looking for the name of his son, Ibrahim. As a result, they are directed to several mass graves, and we see hundreds and hundreds of mainly women looking for the name of their loved ones. Where are mass graves located? in Iraq?
0: About 300 mass graves discovered in, in, in Iraq in the recent seven years. It's located in the north and the south and the middle of Iraq, in the center of Iraq. I start to make this film as a filmmaker, mm. you know, and I ended now become not just as a filmmaker because I start to feel there is not a lot of things has been done for these people because in the past, in 2003, the American administration used this mass grave and what happened to invade Iraq and to occupy Iraq. And after that, they left this issue and they ignored it. And when the Iraqi government came and with the chaos and not safety, this issue has been not dealt in the right way. And people have been digging with their hands to to look for bodies. And there is a lot of bodies and a lot of mass graves now. It's about more than 58 mass graves. They know about it in, in Iraq right now but has been not protected in the right way, and they don't have the facility to deal with it, and that's why we came after the finishing of the film to make the campaign that's called the Iraqi Missing People campaign in congestion with the film.
1: There are up to a million people that have gone missing in the past 40 years in Iraq. To be honest with you, not we
0: don't know about the number in the right way. Different sorts of researcher came with the number because a, it was a chaos and it was done by random people not by proper organized it's not like what happened in Bosnia to make a peace in Iraq and to make the peace that we wish to have it we need to deal with our past and we need to deal with this missing people because we have missing people from the Iraq, Iraq and Iranian war we have missing people by Saddam Hussein for the end file. we have missing people by the genocide that happened in after 1991 after the Gulf War we have missing people in a lot of recent and and now now and you uh, have missing people after the occupation of iraq yes after the occupation of iraq i have but just from my family about seven people have been disappeared we don't know who took them american iraqi government the insurgent the al-qaeda the shia militia we don't know just recently seven months eight months ago my brother-in-law he had five children he disappeared he gone we don't know what happened where he is we don't know anything, any information. We go to the American, they say, we don't have it. We go to the Iraqi army, they say, we don't have it. We go to the Iraqi police, we don't have it. We cannot access a certain area in Iraq because it's still the insurgent, is very active in it. So we don't know where he is. And, and my sister and her children they don't know what happened with, with their father now. And we don't know what's going on. And in
1: May, you showed your film in Iraq. I saw a slideshow about the screening of your film, and people, before getting into the movie theater, they were body searched. <laughs> yeah. And I also heard you saying that there are only three movie theaters in Iraq.
0: It is sad, actually, because in Iraq, before the Gulf War, before 1991, we had more than two hundred and seventy five movie theaters. But unfortunately after the goal for nineteen ninety one and after the United Nations sanction against Iraq for eleven years that we ended up having no cinema and two thousand three came and killed any theaters by booming and all of that. So when I was about to show the Son of Babylon So there are
1: uh, only three movie theaters in Iraq. Are all of them located in Baghdad?
0: Uh, three of them in Baghdad and one of them in Erbil uh, in, uh, in and one of them in and They just mm. opened recently. Mm. But the three of them in Baghdad and the, in the south of Iraq, there is no any movie or anything. So in, in, in Baghdad, the three of them is very, very bad condition. This cinema has been built in 1965 and, and beautifully, beautifully built and beautifully designed. But the facility and the, the, the thing is there has been not developed. So when I show Son of Babylon there, it was not any sound. The film has been screened without any sound, with little sound. But people love the image and love the subtitle because they can read the subtitle in Arabic because the film is a Kurdish and some Arabic on it. The projector is so old because the projector is from 1969 that cannot recognize the Dolby Surrounded sound that the new development, the sound that has been in anywhere, in everywhere, in any place, you have that kind of format, does not recognize the sound on my film. So at the end, having little, little, very little sound, we managed to do it through operation for three days Took cast before the screening of the film. But people read the subtitle and loved the film. So how? So what, was,
1: what kind of films do they show in these movie theaters if they cannot is, show the no, 35
0: millimeter Adobe sound? They don't show films actually like normal films. What they show, they show on DVD or in CD some old films or some film has been stolen or like porno uh, films, you know, some some. In the movie theaters. Stuff. You don't have a family with mother and child go to the see a film or anything in Iraq today. When we came, we start to clean the cinema and work with the owner of the cinema there and all of that. One of the things we were facing is the security. We managed to bring the Iraqi army to protect the area and to check people before that they go to the cinema because you are afraid from any gathering could be could be easy targets by the insurgents. And then we were asking actually the the Dutch ambassador and the German ambassador and the French ambassador because their country was involved in the film, but they refused to come because they said the location is not secure enough to come to see the film. The Iraqi came to see the film. We have 1,800 people attend. Some Sometimes I was confused if they cried because they loved the film, or they cried because they have been not cannot not together for so long, mm. or they cried because they didn't see each other, or friends to come to see them now after so long period. So it was a mix was, of
1: emotions, probably. It
0: was a mix of emotions, and also when they hear about the campaign that we they we mm. make, well, they were really supporting and signed petition. About 1,000 people signed the petition on this day, and and this is one of the things that encouraged us that we go and. To do our uh, second edition of mobile cinema, we are doing. We have a project showing Iraqi films that made after 2003 uh, to go to the cities like Basra, like Nasiriyah, like Kabbalah, like Najaf, and like Baghdad, and to go to the village and and people as soon as they know about the cinema will be shown Mm. in the area, they will jump and try to come. I mean, like one of the villages in the martial arts, where 600 villagers come from their home, women and children come and see a film like Ahlam. I thought something really, really great experience. So this year we're going to do it in congestion with the campaign that we are making it for the Oscar, because Son of Babylon will be, will be the Iraqi representative for the Oscar. So we're going to screen the film around Iraq.
1: Ahmad al-Daraji's second feature film, Son of Babylon, has been selected as Iraq's official entry for the Foreign Language Oscar at the 2011 Academy Awards. To find out more about Iraq's missing campaign, please visit humanfilm.co.uk. You have been listening to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover on KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. I am Malihira Zozan, and please stay tuned for free speech radio news coming up next. The following candidate statements belong to the author of the statement only. Salute KPFA friends, fans, and family. I'm Georgia Frazier. I'm a candidate for the upcoming KPFA Board of Directors. As the former General Sales Manager of KJAZ, I have a deep respect and love of the medium of radio. I have also contributed free marketing consultation to several community organizations. As a former public school teacher, a daughter, a sister, I have experienced the comfort of family and the power of community. I know that I can enhance KPFA's mission in
0: this community. I'm Mark Hernandez, running for KPFA Local Advisory Board as part of Save KPFA. I ask for your vote to stop the corporatization of KPFA, to restore local funds and control, and to help KPFA staff better provide quality programming that our collective community needs. With your vote, we can take back control of KPFA. Vote for Mark Hernandez and save KPFA candidates to bring back a diverse and healthy local radio station for our community. For more information, please go to www.